dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez. I'm here with Sauce and we are here for Behind the Boundaries Round 2 Recap Show where we go through all the games for Round 2. Big things have happened, Sauce, uh, over the AFL this week. Yeah, welcome, guys. So many questions already about this short season. We've got teams that are meant to be 2-0 and and they're 0-2. We've had teams that are meant to be... Uh, 0-2 and they're 2-0. We've had uh, the same old umpiring sort of blunders that we have every single year. We've had um, the bump has been on question, very, very scrutinised over the last couple of weeks. Tribunal's had a busy week. So much to talk about, Pez. I can't wait to get into it. Yep, we've got new rules. We've got all these things going on. And uh, as always, Pez and Source have some very big opinions about these games and uh, we'll see how we went over round two. Uh, do you want to get straight into it? I do want to get straight into it, but before we start, Pez, I, I did notice that you skated across something that we had in our pre-production meeting. The first thing that we were going to talk about was our uh, our Behind the Boundary um, exclusive competition, the loser competition, for those who are new to the show. It's where you pick one loser each week, um, and it's a knockout sort of style thing. Everyone gets oh, a Oh, easy. Easy. Easy, Pez, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and that's what everyone says to us, you know, hey, what, there's 18 teams, uh, uh, there's, you know, 18, there's 22 rounds. What happens if I get all the way through? If you tip like Pez... You'll go out in straight steps. Pez, this is an absolute <laughs> poor performance from you. Someone who's meant to uh, know, uh, know a little bit about stri- AFL. Strategic performance. Strategic out. Yep, because uh, as one of the hosts of the show, you don't want to really uh, win your own oh, competition, Pez. mate. And uh, just out in straight sets, nice and easy. Uh, how good's that? I actually messaged my mate after losing my first life uh, to Sydney on the Thursday before round two. I said, uh, he goes, who, who to pick, mate? And I said, uh, anyone that I don't pick can never go deep in this comp. And then he just sends me the message on uh, on the Monday saying, uh, quoting me, can never go deep in this comp, Pez 2021. And uh, uh, very true. And we'll be continually bringing up that quote over and over again. I might make that a little soundbite, Pez, every time you say that you know something <laughs> because uh, out in straight steps, really disappointing for you, really disappointing. But it's also really good for football, Pez, because it just shows you how, again, the experts, well, I don't know if you're an expert, but how the experts continually um, pick teams wrong and they continually over-evaluate, under-evaluate, under-appreciate different teams. But it's what makes one of our games one of the great games because on the any team's best day and a few things go one way, the, the, the odd-shaped ball bounces a different way, you can get a great result. Yep. And, uh, or you just stuff it up and stuff pick, it up pick the wrong team and, uh, and don't read the situation. But I did have to go uh, a little bit more risky than a lot of the people in the comp who choose Essendon to lose this week uh, because I just wanted to keep them alive And because I lost my life in the first round. I said, all right, we'll risk it from here and see how we go. And uh, out in straight sets, I get to watch the, the wonderful competition now and uh, not be a part of it, which is uh, good because the hosts uh, – I'm just going to sit back as the host. Yeah, well, that's probably good, Pez. Well, I might handball over all the admin stuff to you then because you are, you know, that way I can actually actively participate and I can don't have to sort of throw it like you have, uh, even though I'm 90% sure in the discussions we've had, you haven't been trying to throw it. But we also said goodbye to three other people uh, this round. So two, two round two uh, and four people already <laughs> gone. So uh, for all those people out there who have sort of sit there back and as a listener and say, hey, you know what? It would be an easy comp to do. I just have to pick one loser. Can't pick the same team twice. Uh, it should be pretty easy. Four people thought the exact same thing, and uh, thanks for the donation. Uh, cheeky, <laughs> cheeky round two plug for season 2022. <laughs> Jump on board if uh, you, you think it's too easy and uh, see how you go. But uh, let's get into the round recap. Football underway. Would you have any greater drama in this match? 
first goal of the Nine Eagles. That's a start. Well, we started uh, at the MCG source on the Thursday night. We had Carlton versus Collingwood, and Collingwood were victors by 21 points, 106 to 85. We had Harry McKay kick four goals, Martin three, Gibbons three. Uh, Dugowie kicked four. They were all first-half goals. Yeah. check three, Elliot two, Cox two, and Elliot's actually gone down uh, with an injury as well, which doesn't look good for Collingwood. But uh, there were there were really good players, really good things, and uh, Collingwood just took it to Carlton after Source in our end to end show, our preview show. You were really confident on Carlton, really confident in Carlton, uh, but it was more of the de- de- deficiencies that Collingwood displayed during that round one. Um, you know, this is the the ninth year in a row that Carlton will go zero and two. That's a, that's a crazy stat that I heard today on the on the radio. Nine years that they've backed up the first two rounds of the season, just like you pairs in straight sets, zero and two. Really disappointing for Carlton. Um, but yeah, I did did have some questions over Collingwood's ability to be able to score, and one thing that they did do, they definitely bought it to go. You know, back to some of his. Um, He's, you know, best small forward sort of form. Um, and that's what happens when you don't ha- you have a depleted midfield is your coaching staff in round one, they had to put him into that midfield and try and get some more go there. To go, excuse the pun. But um, they weren't able to do that. Uh, score goals, obviously, the week before. So this week, they put him back down there. They get, uh, they get steel side bottom back and they had to move that ball a lot. But one of the absolute superstars uh, that obviously is not unnoticed because he plays at Collingwood, Darcy Moore. Oh. My goodness, it, it, they they continue they continually just kick the ball to him. It seems it seems like they were playing markers up, and he was just the the, the best man available. That's what it seems like. But his positioning around the oh, ground is incredible. just amazing. Jump jumping in front of people and uh, getting those intercept marks. Harry McKay did kick four goals, but um, he he beat him a couple of times. Darcy Moore slipped over once and things like that. You speak about to go in the pre-show source. I know you were super confident on Carlton. I was a little bit if you either way. I did jump on the Carlton line with you as well, the plus one and a half. So we were both wrong there. But I did say Dugowie needs to play forward if they're going to be kicking these goals. Mason Cox, I know he kicked two, but he is a, I don't know, a B-grade forward. I don't even know if you can call him B-grade forward. He, he can't mark the pill. His set shots were no good, uh, which is usually his strength. And they just need another form of, of goal kickers. I think Elliot going down with that ankle injury uh, will really deplete them moving forward. Uh, and uh, we do we know if Collingwood are, are, are decent or not? We, we just don't know. I feel like the this was a result of the amount of scrutiny that came. Um, you know, like the Carlton weren't meant to. You know, Carlton went in quite heavily favourite in this game, and for them to come off round one, a lot of Carlton supporters who have sort of become accustomed to losing, obviously the first uh, <laughs> first two games they normally lose the last nine years. They've they've sort of built not a culture. I don't want to say a culture because they are trying everything to win, but. They, they, they were accepting that that the, you know that poor performance against Richmond even though they got close but Carlton wouldn't uh, sorry Collingwood wouldn't stand for it and I feel like they more responded from the scrutiny this week you had a big game from uh, Brody Grundy you had you know the the midfield that we were asking questions about their age and their depth and they had that response you had their forward line you know to go kick four as we said you had Mason Cock had a you know he kicked two goals three and he continually put himself in good positions to score I mean it's always been a question about him about his footy smarts and does he understand have a proper understanding the game for, for someone who likes to yap as much as he does but it was it was good to see them um you know get be- get back to to that winning sort of ways and I, I definitely i overshadowed probably that that depth in the midfield you had jack chris who was amazing in there 36 pendlebury <laughs> tell you what you don't you don't ever doubt a champion 30 possessions um he looked amazing in there you know seven seven tackles five clearances um absolute beast but the what they missed the week before was taylor adams taylor adams in that midfield 
Thir- I thought you were going to miss out on there. I was going to jump in. 13 clearances. He was an absolute beast. Um, you know, 29 disposals, kicked a goal as well. Um, and that's what they missed from the week before, that clearing that football, which also helps when, when Brody Gundy's giving you the ball. Yeah, yeah. look, uh, the way Collingwood scored, in, especially in that first half source, you may have noticed, it was just a kicking to those short leads and the, the small forwards were the ones leading up. They weren't bombing it high to the tall forwards for, for Wiedering and Jones to just punch it over the boundary line or intercept it. They were actually playing smart footy and being able to do that. And then in the second half, uh, Mason Cox got a little bit more involved because there was more space from, I don't know, fatigue or whatever it was. Uh, speaking about Carlton, they had, uh, they've had they got Sardu's come in, who, who looks decent off the back line. Uh, Zach Williams started in the middle, started on fire. Uh, I think he had a, around seven touches in the first 10 minutes. And then he went missing for, for a while in that game. And it, I don't know if it's his tank, his fatigue, what it is, but he needs to be able to get in there, get the ball. And he, he's just bombing it forward, it seems, like like what Trelaw used to do at Collingwood. I, I think he needs to you know spot up targets and pinpoint them more. Uh, the impressive thing or the thing to look forward to for Carlton is that run out of the back line when they can turn it over in, in Saad and Jack Martin coming into that team in that forward line who gives them an option. So Carlton, I know they're 0-2. They are going to win some games this year and they are going to beat up on some sides, but their issue is still consistent footy. It's not only the consistent footy, Pez, it's exactly what you said there, is when they do go forward and they attack, they need to get away from this blazing the ball forward. They made Darcy Moore look a lot better than he actually is. They made him look like an absolute superstar. Like, not getting it wrong, he can he can take the intercept Lock mark. him in for Australian. 100%. And he's definitely probably got the six votes from his two games in terms of, you know, the AFL Players Association Award, but... You can't just bomb the ball long. And Collingwood definitely made the adjustment. Those shorter kicks into the forward line, they realised deficiencies from the week before. You know, hats off to Nathan Buckley. Really came in with a proper game plan and executed it. But one of the things that helped him execute it was those players that we spoke about in week one actually responding in week two. It's it's really interesting. And the big thing, and it's the first game, so we're speaking a little bit longer about it, but the tackles source, Carlton only had 41 tackles to Collingwood 65. And that, for me, equals effort, equals positioning, game plan. I don't know exactly what it is, but Carlton need to look into that. Why are we not getting tackles? Why are we just letting, you know, Collingwood have the ball and do what they want with it and chip it to that forward, leading forward, um, inside forward 50? So uh, they've, they've got to do something and they've got to fix that if it's effort or whatever. You look at Adelaide, Adelaide, very poor side last year, coming to this year. Uh, win the first week against the Cats and show really good effort and kick a, a lot of behinds against a, a Sydney side, which we'll talk about a bit later. But what they have is effort for every single quarter, every second they're out there on the field. Carlton, uh, you've got to play for the jump or do something. You've got, you've got to fix this. Yeah, I mean, they had 60 inside 50s, Carlton did, and they weren't at a, 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 a um, success rate of 36%, Pez. 60 to 48 inside 50s, and they went at 36%. Their average for the season is 50, you know, 50 inside 50s. We saw, spoke about it the week before that they, they, get, they get the ball in there enough. They've, they've got to work on a better game plan, and I don't know whether it is a tall forward that they're kicking target to or they're looking at the lines that they're running, but they need to address that, and quickly, because this is a season that could definitely produce a lot of missed opportunities if Carlton don't jump on it. Both of these games, I think, for the way that Carlton played, and you know, if you take into the way Richmond played that first week, that they, they really should have dominated them. But they, they could have, they could have they could be two and zero because they were in that game in that last quarter they went into the the lead you know early in that last quarter against Richmond they definitely had, were in this game and they probably stats wise they probably dominated a lot of the stats and it was inefficiency um, across the ground that, that let them down. 
Yeah, and I think that might be a, a trend that will happen and we will be speaking about that in Carlton as well. We'll see how Collingwood go into the future in this early part of the season. We move on to the Friday night source where uh, Geelong took on Brisbane down at uh, Old Cadinia Park, GMHBA Stadium. And Geelong, very controversially, won 81-80, to 80, won by one solitary point uh, with the biggest controversy we, we could have hoped for on a Friday night. Yeah, there was a range of things that were um, were controversial about this game. There we had the there were three or four things that that, that really came up into it, and um, I don't want to take it away from from the actual game, appears, but it's something that we have to address. There was three main issues in this game. There was the uh, officiating of the game in the last quarter, explicitly the last tackle on uh, Mark, Mark Blitzars, who clearly had possession of the ball, Your clearly opinion? had opportunity. Oh, I was holding the ball, yep. holding the ball every day of the week, um, and I think that's the first thing that um, I think needs to be addressed and for me I was listening to a podcast today and it's 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 just not acceptable anymore for the AFL to come out every now and then with these blatant decisions and say that they're wrong too often they go um, the other way and they don't live in a culture where it's okay to make mistakes and they don't use it as a learning tool all the other sports around the world, you know, we, we, we talk about the American sport all the time they live in a culture that is that is built on bad calls get addressed Nightly, They have their last two-minute report, and I think that this is what the AFL need to do. They need to spend time and putting out a last-quarter report and, and actually call out these plays to better the umpires. instead so of scru- all umpires. All umpires. Learn. Instead of scrutinising against this poor bloke who, who's made a mistake. It's obvious mistake. It was clear as day. For whatever reason, they've made it, whether it be fatigue, bad positioning, players in the way. I don't know what it is but it shouldn't be happening and it's not okay now for the AFL when it's a blatant one to say it's wrong, but when they have those 50-50 ones, they say it's right. Yeah, always. Got to lean into a culture of development and calling out that behaviour to improve, but not that's, to penalise. that's why there's a 50-50 thing because there's not a culture like that. So yes, the AFL are doing that. And uh, Geelong, I don't know what Geelong was doing, but uh, Friday 10.31, I just went back into our messages while you were talking there, Sauce. Uh, I said to you, the AFL is an absolute joke. I was not very happy on that Friday night. And it wasn't just with the Mark Blitzard's call. No, there was a range I, of different I calls. I think Geelong, I don't know what sports they were playing. They were playing a bit of rugby, a bit of uh, super, super rugby, a bit of uh, European handball, whatever, whatever it is they're playing. Uh, a throw that led to a goal, uh, Cam Guthrie in the forward line. Uh, to a to a little snap for goal, fifteen meters out. Uh, not too happy with that. And I know positioning of the umpire. It's one of the hardest things to be able to do. But there was another throw about fifty five meters out from Selwood, and there's no way he could have got a hand to it. Um, it didn't end in a goal. I think it ended in a behind. But uh, they're the things you got to look at. And the, the free kick count. You know, um, if you are a listener to this podcast, I don't care what the free kick count says. I care what happens from those free kicks. If it's a free kick and you deserve it, and you get a goal from it. Bang, that's, it's irrelevant. That's fine because the free kick was there. And I, I think that Brisbane, you know, dominated majority of the game. Geelong came out, obviously, in the first quarter, got their lead and, and did all those things. And Brisbane made a, a massive mistake at the end where Tomahawk's in the in the ruck there and is able to hit it to Isaac Smith in space. So that's probably uh, what Brisbane are going to be looking at because that's inexcusable because that shouldn't happen when Brisbane are up by, you know, five points or whatever they were and uh, it shouldn't happen. But... They they should have kicked that goal from the uh, the the free kick that wasn't wasn't rewarded as well. They go zero and two. They also have to stay in Melbourne. They're not playing at the Gabba this week. They're playing at the MCG instead against the Collingwood side who's just come off a win. So if they go zero and three, they're they're in big trouble. And you can blame the umpires all you want. And I'm fuming at the umpires. 
but uh, sometimes you just got to be able to beat them and I don't like the the home ground advantage that the cats got on Friday night. Yeah, and it's it's, it's I think it's something that um, I wouldn't put this game down to bad umpiring lost the game. For for me, if, if Geelong had lost the game, you know that'd be that'd be fair. They 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 didn't deserve to win it in my books because they did a lot of things early that they just went away from in that third quarter. But on Brisbane's behalf, in that first quarter. They let the cats off on so many scoring opportunities, so many, so many good opportunities to score a goal. I mean, they had twenty-five scoring shots to twenty-one. They, they should not have lost by a point. Their kicking is still an issue. Their kicking is a massive issue, and what I'm glad to hear is that the Brisbane Lions, uh, and you know, especially, especially. Fagan has come out and said, and he's like, so, so what? He goes, they missed the free kick. Like, it's, it, that's not why we lost the game, and they're taking that ownership. It's really good going into, especially an interrupted. Uh, preparation for this week that they're not blaming the umpires tell you what though extremely frustrating pairs and and um as a geelong supporter and i was at the game there were many times where i was actually sitting with my old man and it was just like there was a couple of times where we got free kicks and was like that is not a free kick it, it's there's no way in the world it is but the brisbane lions need to, to work on that efficiency um the second big issue pairs that we'll probably speak during the week about is this behind the play business now, Lockie Neal all night was getting niggled from a range of different players. And yeah, O'Connor did a great job on him. Yeah, they, they, they were doing a fantastic job. Um, and Neal was getting visually frustrated a couple of times, and uh, you could see him throwing a couple of cheapies. And then Rowan, now I haven't caught the footage beforehand, and I'm not sure about the footage beforehand, but Gary Rowan behind the play. High impact, I think. It was intentional. It started again on the shoulder and has made its way up to the head. Has to get a couple of weeks for it, Bez. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's what's what's going to happen. Uh, but because it's because it's so far off the ball, it, it actually makes it a lot worse. I think so, yeah. Um, Lockie Neal, not being a, a tall man of stature, Rowan might have meant to hit him in the chest, you know, that, that old chestnut. Yeah, right. Um, and hit him in the chest and went I up to I think Gary Rowan was just defending himself, I think. Yeah. It was. He yeah. just had to protect himself. That's what he was doing. <laughs> he was just bracing for contact or whatever. But you can't just swing like that and, and that's not okay for the game. So a couple of weeks to row in there. I know some Cats fans won't be too happy about. No, do you know what though? He's, he hasn't been performing since he's come into the side. He had three or four good weeks when he first started in Geelong and uh, outside of that, he hasn't been great. And uh, it's probably something that he probably could have some time to reflect and stop being getting so visually frustrated and just, just throwing it away. But it's disappointing, I think. Yeah, the other big talking point, uh, your, your main man, uh, the... I guess most controversial coach in the competition, Chris Scott, just uh, fired up at quarter time. You were at the ground source. Did you were you able to see it, or did you have to wait until uh, you got no, home? No, no, we saw we saw the sort of interaction. It was it was very obvious that they sort of were they were um, migrating all towards each other. They did start separate, both uh, Chris Scott and originally they said it was Lockie Neal through the footage, but it looks like maybe Joe Danaher said something. Um, I saw something on the AFL website tonight that there's even more footage now of people coming around there. There's a big please explain by the AFL, and it's still. Being investigated. Talk, talk about not a good look for the game. Like. No, it's a horrible look, especially when all three things that have come out of this game, we haven't even got on about, you know, like, you know, Hawkins, like we haven't even got about like to his return, two goals in the first quarter. Haven't talked about Eric Hipwood. Finally, the only goal kicker that they had was four. Like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about rubbish stuff that doesn't need to be in the game. No, and uh, that's the coach's fault, that one, because 100%. He, he doesn't have to go and do that. We know he's a sniper from back in the day when he played at Brisbane Lions and he, he wanted to get rough and tumble. Mate, you're not a player. Stay stay away from it. Coach your team and, and just don't get involved. I hate it when he goes into press conferences and he always, like last year, complaining about free kicks that they didn't get. In this one, 
Oh, he didn't see the Blitzar's free kick in his press conference. Oh, sorry. He actually, sorry. He actually said that he had prior. Uh, he had no prior, he said. Oh, 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 he said, oh, I didn't see that. Rowan, oh, I didn't see that. Mate, the, all your assistant coaches are there and they're going to show you everything before you go to the press conference. Don't just lie and say, I haven't seen it. Actually stand up and, and actually give us your opinion. If you're not going to do that, don't go to the press conference. I'm sick and tired of seeing him on the screen all the time, sooking about the umpire's call. Mate, when you're down at Geelong, especially in round two, you got the uh, you you got the rubber the green with the umpires, so uh, just shut your mouth and coach your team. Yeah, most definitely. If we are going to talk about some of the the good players that were there and actually played the game, I thought Guthrie was fantastic. You know, I love Guthrie anyway, but I thought he did a fantastic job for for three quarters of the game. Was a little bit undisciplined and a little bit um, didn't use the football well in one in the last quarter. Joel Selwood. When, when Patrick Danielfield's not in that side, geez, does he stand up and he really plays the, the captain's role. 27 touches, you know, he kicked, kicked a couple of goals. Um, an absolute clearance beast. Uh, the hard all ball he gets. Um, and not all of them were free kicks for, for too high. Either. I think there's only <laughs> one that was too high there. Um, but, you know, also new recruit. And I guess the hero, Isaac Smith, uh, got the got the disposal off um, Tomahawk, who was also fantastic any time the ball. Can I, can I just say, his sheer strength in a ruck contest He's the best forward 50 oh, ruckman he, in the comp. How many times does he grab the ball out of the ruck and, and slam it on the boot? But Te- Teams are going to have to start have doing to. for that they because if you've got a Gorn or a Nat Nui or something, you can't just rest and let your forward no. go in the ruck against Hawkins. You've got to get your premier ruckman down there to stop that impact because it leads to goals too much. Well, it led to the winning winning goal in this one. Already in the goal in the game, he had done the exact same thing and got free, used his upper body strength, kicked an amazing goal. In this situation, he gave it to Isaac Smith who uh, kicked the goal. In terms of the, the Brisbane Lions, you know, outside of um, Hipwood, Hipwood who kicked four goals, you had McCluggage who worked hard. You know, he, his inaccuracy sort of let him down a little bit. Dane Zorko was good with 22, but um, as you said, young, young O'Connell did an amazing job on... Um, the Brownlow medalist, and um, you could see the frustration not only through his actions uh, later in the game, but also him getting under twenty disposals, which he hasn't doesn't do very often. There, Pez. No, he doesn't at all. The other Guthrie uh, w- wasn't used no, as wasn't. as a substitute. So that's all right, isn't it? Thanks, thanks for that, Pez. And then <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's a good comment. <laughs> Mac- McInerney actually went down and and went off this one, and he was replaced by Coleman, uh, who had a bit of an impact in that last quarter as well. So I think for Brisbane, I think Lions was the cleanest of, of their midfielders, uh, moving the ball forward and, and through there. Hipwood had so many opportunities there. I think Danaher, you know, he's just trying to find his feet. But he kicked he, a nice bomb from outside 50. That's what he really needs to do, though. He can't he can't pinpoint because his kicking is, is quite off at the moment. So sometimes I was thinking, just turn. Just turn from 70 out and get it down deep forward just do it and uh, he wasn't doing that a couple of times and turned the ball over and it was no good they uh, lose by a point go 0-2 Geelong escape get uh, one and one and they, they head into round three yeah we head into the Saturday game and we spoke about goal kicking being a problem there is not a problem uh, in New South Wales Sydney absolutely piled on again multiple weeks pairs that they are not only do they win in comfortable fashion um, you know they beat uh, the Adelaide Crows 121 to 88 and as we said this is the Adelaide Crows a team that's touted to be um, not a great side but they did beat Geelong last week at home but they continue to have multiple goal kickers Franklin with three the return of him which was fantastic Heaney three Hickey two the what five club player uh, Warner <laughs> two and then you had some uh, also nice little helpfuls from uh, Papley uh, Goulden, Reed, Wicks, Parker, McInerney. They've got so many arsenal of weapons down there, Pez. If they can get that midfield going, I asked you this on Saturday night. I sent you the message saying, well, I sent you a message that wasn't too clear, but are Sydney actually good? Like, or is it just 
Well, I think they think that they've got the scoring ability to be good. But is this a small sample size? Is this sustainable for the Swans? There's there's too many um, unknowns at the moment because there's too many players that are just playing their second game and they're very impressive at the moment. And uh, it seems like they've turn, turned a leaf and not going to be in that bottom four, bottom six type thing. And people are all talking them and touting them for finals. I think they, they do need Buddy to, to stay fit. They need Heaney to stay fit, which they haven't been able to do in the past seasons. They've still got those players like Luke Parker and Josh Kennedy in the midfield that are experienced, and then they've got a good mix around them. Uh, can Tom Hickey keep it up? He hasn't been able to do that at his other clubs. Uh, we don't know. But the thing here is high-scoring game, a lot of effort, a lot of pressure. Uh, Sydney, 31 scoring shots. Adelaide, 33. They kicked 11-22. And... <laughs> Kicked themselves out of the game. Yeah. Came back a little bit in that fourth quarter because they were going to lose by 40-plus. The biggest thing for me is Tex Walker. He's kicked 11 goals over the first wow. two rounds. I could not believe my eyes when I'm watching it. He kicked four goals from forward 50 tackles holding the ball. He looks he looks so much fitter. He's dropped a lot of weight in the offseason. He looks hey, when so have you ever fitter. seen Tex Walker chase no. in defensive 50? He got four free kicks from holding the ball tackles yeah. that he... Did it was unbelievable, which is a really positive sign. We spoke a couple of years ago about the culture in Adelaide and you know that mass exodus that really happens. But I think that some of these young potential stars and like not stars is probably the poor word, but the way that they shone at the end of uh, twenty twenty and towards those last couple of games, they really were competitive. They've rejuvenated text and they've made him look you know look forward and he's got he's got it on track. He's got a little bit fitter. He wants to keep his uh, AFL career going, but. Yeah, it was it was exciting to see Tex. Um, you know, and even when he's younger younger days, I don't think he ever sort of you know applied that pressure. Was he wasn't a chase tackler guy. No, he not was just that big. As soon as, as soon as he, he was a very one dimensional. As soon as the ball was not off his um, off his mark, um, he would basically yeah just let the ball go and, and and set up for the next one. But really impressive for Sydney. Um, those young guns, back to back NAB AFL rising stars. Errol Goulden had the first week. He was amazing again. Twenty two disposals and a goal. And uh, fellow academy graduate Braden Campbell, another outstanding performance. Get rid of the, the academy. Twenty five disposals. Twenty one of them kicks, uh, and he nabbed. Uh, excuse that. The uh, <laughs> the NAB rising star for for so we back to back stars for for the Swans. And honestly, Pez. They could go. They could go the first three weeks because they have got a lot of young talent there. Well, a lot Chad of young Warner had, had twenty disposals there and, and kicked his two goals as well. The nineteen-year-old, yeah, so a bit unlucky. They've, they've got a lot of them down there, and uh, I'm really confused now in terms of Adelaide. If Adelaide are playing at home, are they are they going to be decent? Are they going to be able to compete in games for longer? I thought they would, you know, really struggle with the longer quarters this year and that they're really young side. Will Sydney be able to fatigue like that? Can they keep it up and and keep healthy? Uh, it's, it's very interesting and makes for a really good uh, start of the season coming up. Most definitely. I think for me, um, you know, they led 13 points halfway through that first term. The, the difference between their good footy and their bad footy is still miles apart. And, you know, we saw Sydney to be able to get back on, on, on top through just a bad patch. And as you said, some inaccuracies. You saw them drop their heads a little bit. And Sydney with that young, that young forward line, or that young everything, realistically, <laughs> that run and gun. And they sort of really got themselves uh, um, set up for, for the rest of that game. And then they sort of went from there. And I think that's what's important. If Adelaide are going to be that side that, you know, is competitive at home, uh, so, you know, and possibly would win 50% of their games at home, just depending who they're playing, obviously. They need to correct that bad football patches that they have that unfortunately for – well, they had bad patches of football for 2020, 2019 uh, <laughs> and a little bit of uh, the last game of 2018 as well. Well, you, you, I did notice with Sydney they were, you know, running into the forward line and, and moving fast and then at some stages they were slowing down source. They had plus 60 in the disposals and they had 61 inside 50s for 32 shots. 
where Adelaide, with 60 less disposals, had 55 inside 50s and 33 shots on goal. Yes, they were pinging it from from 50, 45 out on the run uh, a few times, which is where a lot of their behinds came from. So they weren't actually spotting up the targets and doing those things. Tex kicked six, but four of them were from inside 50 tackles. So they're not spotting up that key forward and getting those easy set shots. Um, They did with McAdams in that last quarter where I think he kicked three goals. So uh, that's when the game was done and dusted as well. So can Adelaide actually find that forward structure where they can actually get some easy ball and easy goals moving forward? Yeah, the one thing I will add, Pez, um, it was an interesting stat that I I took out of this game, uh, and it's something that you don't like to talk about, but it's something that I've just observed, and I know that we were talking about the umpires in the first week of football. Last week, uh, Adelaide had 30 30 free kicks, uh, and they were like 15 more than the other team. This week, they had uh, 29 free kicks, and they were 16 more than the other team. They actually lead the competition in free kicks, 59-4, 30 against, and the team that is second... North Melbourne, 54 and 42. Interesting, is it is that the way that the AFLs are viewing those two teams touted to be really low and giving them a bit little bit more leniency trying to keep them in games? Uh, two, two small sample size for me. Uh, I know that Adelaide's free kicks over the, the two games and watching the Geelong game closely was through a lot of effort and tackling and uh, a really good place. So uh, we'll, we'll see if that's a trend over the five weeks or so and we'll, we'll give it a little bit more time especially with North Melbourne because I don't know how they're getting uh, so many free kicks unless it's uh, the forwards getting it into the back of the defenders or Must whatever be out back the there. or something. Yeah, out on the full and they've just been lucky with that. But um, we will get to talk about my favourite team, North, uh, very, very soon. But before we do that, we're heading to Adelaide, Port Adelaide versus Essendon. And a lot of Essendon fans uh, doing the old uh, concede when Sauce and Pears both had Essendon in the bottom four. And a lot of Essendon fans just gave us stick for those first two weeks. How have you got Essendon in the bottom four? They're going to finish higher than that. And then after they saw their performance against Port Adelaide, they've got some injuries now, which wouldn't be too happy about. And uh, they've just gone the old, yeah, you were right. Uh, just after round two, which I'm surprised. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, as you're alluding to here, Port Adelaide definitely dominated this whole game, 119 to 65. But I think it was the fashion that sort of Essendon, you know, really sort of depleted themselves. Uh, up until half time, they kicked four goals, four seven. You know, they had 11 scoring shots to, to, to 17. It's just there wasn't enough forward entry for them. They were sort of all over the place in terms of, you know, the structures, similar things that we we saw in round one and the things that we spoke about in Carlton, just throwing the ball on the boot. Some really disappointing injuries. You know, Heppel wasn't able to take play in the game before and he was replaced beforehand by Gleeson uh, with that back injury that continually seems to tighten up uh, and it is really concerning going forward for, for him. Young recruit Caldwell did his hammy. That's really disappointing. Yeah, rough. Draper, who, who actually showed some really positive signs in round one, He's done his leg. That's all it's got here, leg. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of an issue with the ankle. They don't really know what it is, but no. a bit, bit with the ankle, it's not um, not too good for him. Yeah, and then running and kicking machine, Shield, who has been uh, a bit of a shining light for them, you know, and last year just trying to work on that uh, actual kick for himself. He's done his knee. So really, really disappointing for those three players and who probably would have been in their best 22, you would say, during week one. Uh, are all going to miss uh, some stints of footy going into yeah, well, Dylan a Shield, really, really tough game against like, St Kilda. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, it's not an ACL. Um, he did the MCL, I think it was, or the PCL. So he's out for uh, about three months or so. So he will get back to footy, which is good, and he won't have to miss the whole 12 months. But yes, Essendon depleted injuries, but how good do Port Adelaide look? I know they only played against Essendon, and we don't rate Essendon very highly. But that recruit, Alira Leah, he just... Talk about positioning for Darcy Moore. 
he's going to be competing with uh, Alir Alir for that centre-half back position because he just gets in the right spot at the right time, goes for those intercept marks, grabs them in the, at the right spots, and then his disposal, much improved. I actually loved watching him when he was at Sydney and a lot of people, you know, um, kept dropping him. Longmire would drop him and I was like, oh, he, he missed kicks maybe one, one or two a game. At the moment in Port Adelaide, with their run and their carry, um, especially with Zach Butters in that midfield and having an absolutely outstanding game, three votes for him. They're, they've just got guns all over the ground and they are super impressive. Super impressive. And I think we really need uh, – we really sold uh, – well, not really sold him short, but I think we definitely both forgot about how much potential Zach Butters uh, showed last year into making an All-Australian side. There is no – like, if he continues this up, he isn't a guaranteed into the All-Australian. He looks absolutely amazing at 20 years old. He had 36 disposals and a goal. But he just looks mature. Uh, like, his body doesn't – he doesn't play to his body size. He just looks like a big, bustly midfielder. Yeah. But, but he's really not. You know what he is? He's kind of the – between the midfield and the forward. So he's yeah. kind of that link-up player, that Tom Lynch role when Adelaide were in the grand final. But Tom Lynch was that lead-up type, I'll take a mark and then I'll, I'll, I'll kick. Where Zach Butters, he can go get his own footy and do that. He can lead up and mark uh, and get inside 450, run it in, make the right decision and, and just go from there. And it was it was great to see. You've got t- Charlie Dixon kicked four, Georgie Artis kicked four. Whoever's coming up against Essendon, uh, if you, especially if you're a top side, Make sure you cash in and you, you try and kick a bag as a, as a forward because you have a good day, especially if it's a nice, sunny Saturday afternoon. Nice, sunny Sunday afternoon. I mean, Zach Butters, uh, back to him for two seconds, Pez. The only other person that was uh, any better than him was Ollie Wines, and that's exactly who he sort of plays like, isn't it? Ollie Wines, that small in-between sort of midfield, small forward sort of player, Zach Butters. He's a younger version of it. They've got two of the bastards. <laughs> yeah, yeah give. Oh, I don't know. I'd give Zach Butters the three votes uh, in that game because he did get the goal and, you know, a, a little bit of uh, stats. We know the umpires will always look at the stats in that. But Ollie Wine's definitely up there. Travis Boak, very, very impressive. And one player that has improved out of sight for me is Dan Houston. Yeah, uh, running yep. off that back yep. line, actually running forward and kicking goals as well. Uh, I was worried about his disposal a few seasons back. But uh, in this Port Adelaide side, while they're winning... No one's worried about their disposals. They had nearly 100 more than Essendon. Yeah, and I think it was really um, interesting as well because he was one of those players that sort of would get around the 20, 23 disposal mark but not make a lot of impact. Now he's starting to use the ball a lot more efficiently. He's trying to get a lot – well, he's not trying to. He's getting a lot more impact. It does help when your team's winning by 60 points in every other week. Um, But, you know, you look a lot better when your team's winning and he's starting to really develop a, a better kicking style that is a bit more efficient. Yeah, and when you when you are winning and playing footy like this, it's it's so much easier to dispose of the ball and build your confidence up. Um, looking forward to the game this week over at Optus where West Coast take on Port Adelaide, and we'll speak about that in our end to end segment in another show coming up this week. Source, but give these Essendon fans that are listening to this show, give them some hope. What have they got to look forward to? Uh, they got St Kilda next week, so <laughs> they were they were just as disappointing. That's a potential win for them. Got a chance to win. Um, as I said, I think that the game plan that they're trying to emulate it is a game plan that has been shown has shown success. I think they they're really trying to do what Richmond do. They're trying to do what um, who's another team that sort of plays like that. You know, I guess Collingwood when they were up and about that that short kicking, running the running across the back line, finding the open space and going. It's going to be tough with those injuries because those, those some of those injuries were a big part of how you were moving the football. But I think, you know, in terms of, of hope, I mean, you've got St Kilda next weekend who were, uh, who were very disappointing. They could, you know, they're going to play St Kilda don't have a Ruckman either. They don't have a Ruckman. Uh, they're going to play them at probably, what, Marvel. They're probably playing Marvel. So that it's the ground that they play well. That's the hope I'm going for. But um, realistically, Pez, I think they fall 0-3 and yep. they could be even go 0-5, 0-6. And, and Zach Merritt, who's touted as, you know, a Brownlow chance, like... 
Yes, he had 28 disposals, but I don't think he has a big impact on the game. And uh, Essen supporters, you've got to start looking at uh, what type of impact these players are actually having. I don't care if he gets 28 disposals a game, if we're just containing him and he's uh, getting handballs and things, kind of like Tom Mitchell at Hawthorne, where he, he doesn't gain any meterage or anything like that. Uh, one thing that I'm a bit concerned about, so they had Kale Hooker kick three goals source. I'm actually really concerned that they they still have to play Kale Hooker up forward. Yeah. Uh, because... You've, you've got to have someone at your club that can, that can do that. And Kale Hooker, he does he not look like the most awkward footballer ever, even when he was in defence? Uh, I mean, I was with an, a couple of Essen fans on the weekend, and one of the comments was, it's really concerning uh, when one of your best backmen is your best forward. <laughs> Um, and then the comment after that was, and then he's not good at either position really. So like, like it, it is really concerning for Essen. I don't remember if he was actually all Australian or he's really close. He was to very all close, Australian very one close one as a defender, and. You guys are playing him up forward, and yes, he's, he's kicked a couple of goals, but whoever you put in that position, they're obviously it's going to fall in their lap sometimes. Uh, but very worrying signs for Essendon, Port Adelaide. Uh, stay at the top of the ladder and continue to go. We head to Saturday night, a game I was at source. St Kilda took on Melbourne. Melbourne ended up winning by 18 points, 91 to 73. And if this wasn't the most disappointed I've been going, into, going to the footy in a while, yeah, I mean, it was a disappointing game, but before we get on to the actual game, pairs, it was a really, really great tribute to Danny Frawley. Um, the Gary Lyon, uh, Stuart Lowe and Tony Lockett, they did a fantastic job addressing the, the, the players before the game in something that you don't normally see. They had, um, for anyone who hasn't checked uh, checked out the, the footage, make sure you go and check it out because it was really touching listening to Gary Lyon speak to address both teams and both captains and they had all of the, the teams standing, um, you know, one Melbourne, one St Kilda, not linking arms or anything, but around the centre circle, on the open mic addressing the crowd having some silence had 10 seconds of silence that you know it was, it was really really powerful and a really great message about people struggling and the impacts of football in terms of mental health and realistically you know putting giving life a crack and, and really really reaching out and you know doing doing the right thing for for not only your mates but it was a really really clear message that i thought was done very tastefully um and it's something in football that is a, a bit of a stigma not not great thing to talk about mental health but I, th- I think they addressed it perfectly and one thing i was wrapped to actually be there to see live and gary lyon i know stuart lowe spoke well as well but gary lyon can he speak in front of wow. a crowd and he was absolutely amazing in front of the the whole crowd there, he's in the centre of the ground. All the players and umpires are there. For all his families there, uh, it was just a real special moment. And you looked around and you didn't have any of those idiots calling out in my section where I was, um, which was really good and really respectful. And it's just time to reflect and time to think and uh, just give your mates a call or a message and, and either see how they are or see if they want to catch up and just have a chat or just hang out. So really, really good stuff with that. Really, really good stuff. All right, speaking about talking about the game and reflecting, Pez, you were at the game. It was very disappointing. The Saints were sort of in it in the first quarter. There was a lot of mistakes made early from both teams. It sort of it looked like they were... Both teams, it was shocking. It yep. was a shocking first sort of quarter, but I think opportunities for both teams to, to go on top into that second quarter. Up until halftime, again, it was a pretty close sort of game. In the second half, the, the, the Ds just took over. Look, the, in the second quarter, source, Saints actually got out to a 16-point lead, and they were like, yep, all right. Everyone was like, yep, all right, we've got this. This is pretty easy. And then Melbourne just turned it around, got back evens at, at halftime, and then just took it forward from there. St Kilda, I don't know what their game plan was. Their skills were atrocious. We've got a big forward in Max King. They're not kicking it to him in the contest. We actually decided, oh, we're going to spot up Max Gorn time after time after time. He was just sitting in the hole source, and they weren't kicking it to him. 
is they did decide to kick it long down to someone and someone was actually there. It's Jack Higgins, who's one of the smallest men on the ground. And Melbourne, with May, Lever and Max Gorn filling that hole, their defence was really strong. The player that really impressed me for Melbourne is Christian Salem. I, I really rated him as a kick last year, but by golly, did he get them running. And every time he got the ball, he made something happen. Uh, on, the, on the other end of the spectrum, Bradley Hill... Paying him 900000 a year, I thought... I messaged you before the game, source. So I said, Bradley Hill at Marvel, because we haven't really seen him there yet. You you wait for this. And he just could not hit a target at all. He would turn the ball over. Melbourne would go down and get an easy goal. And yeah. I was just shattered. Yeah, I mean, as you would be, though, Piers, because what you described to me in, in the pre-match, we were texting back and forth, you know. He was brought into your club for his elite running skill. Him playing at Marvel Stadium should be his bread and butter. And there were so many times that he was running through, streaming through the middle and... Gave him the footy. Even though he was not under pressure, well, it didn't appear to be pressure. Maybe there was perceived pressure, but even then I'm giving him maybe it's a bit of a cop-out by saying that. Just just poor use of the footy and, and kept turning the ball over and over and over again. And it comes to the point where, you know, this is not just the first time that he's, uh, you know, has not uh, used the football well, even though having a great use of like, you know, being a great user previously of it. I think it's time that the, that the Saints really need to look at the drawing board and see if he, he's up for selection this week. I 100% agree. If I was on the coaching panel, I'd be putting Brad Hill's name up to drop, in, um, drop him. And, you know, when we got him to the club, how excited I was on this podcast to actually get a ball user that can kick it inside forward 50. There's no use getting him if he's going to turn the ball over in the middle of the ground and they're just going to run the other way and spot up an easy target inside forward 50 and have these easy shots at goal. Uh, I, I just don't know with this St Kilda team. It's it's Melbourne. It's at Marvel, not their ground. And it, it's not St Kilda that lost it. Maybe it's Melbourne that won it, Source, because they were, they were pretty impressive and... Uh, have we have we underrated them? I don't know. I'm not going to make that call yet. I, I don't I don't believe so. I think they're going to lose a lot of games this year. But by if you if you don't have the game plan to go with Melbourne and you're just going to let Max Gorn drop in that that defensive fifty, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. Yeah, I mean for me. Th- in this game, their disposal efficiency was a lot better. Generally, it hasn't been uh, amazing the way they've sort of been, you know, just throwing it away. But if you look at their efficiency inside 50 compared to St Kilda, 72 to 36 pairs. And, like, you know, Melbourne's average for the, for the year and last year was about 50% in their inside 50. And they, they, they played a decent sort of game, but St Kilda allowed them just to do whatever they wanted in there. You had um, Oliver had, what, 37? Petrarca had 30. You had Salem who had 30. You had too many players just getting the ball and... And we know that they accumulate the ball. But if you're not going to apply pressure and allow them to look better than they are because we know this is a problem of Melbourne, you can't expect to win. And I think... No, yes, pressure, no pressure kicking source. So it's, good. it's easy for them. Training drill. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the things that we, we worry about Melbourne are still issues. But if they get a run at things and they can find their way into a confident position, we saw what they did during the you know when they when they got into that final series against uh, against Geelong, when they are confident going into a game, they only need one or two quarters for their deficient their you know their disposal to be efficient, and they can be dangerous because they do get a lot of the pill. Their game plan is there, just their skill level isn't consistent enough or good enough, I think, to to maintain and and win multiple games throughout a year. Yeah, and, and what they do need, or what an opposition team needs against Melbourne, is you need a ruckman. It doesn't matter if they can't beat Max Gorn. They have to be able to compete. They have to make it hard for him. St Kilda did not make it hard for him. Paul Hunter, he's not very quick off the mark. He, he can't really run. You've got your third and fourth string ruckman in at St Kilda at the moment with Ryder and Marshall injured. But 
you let Max Gordon run anywhere on the field by himself and, and don't even go to him. Sean McKernan, oh my goodness, was he was he terrible as well. I cannot wait until Ryder and Marshall are back and hopefully there's no more injuries. I would delist Sean McKernan right now because uh, he, if he takes one or two marks a game, he, he'll just try and go inboard and turn it over. Now, one thing I did notice, Sauce, and I've only noticed this because I've only gone to this only game for the year and I've noticed it live. When... Melbourne were running towards the boundary line and they're going about 70 metres out to their forward 50. They've got two players, yeah? That one player will pass it out wide and you've got two St Kilda players. That player that was out wide drew those two St Kilda players to the boundary line, handballed it back inboard, and then that player had so much time and the forwards had so much space to lead into and that's how they were um, breaking apart that St Kilda defence. St Kilda were getting sucked into the boundary line, two on one, and they were leaving that other player open to, under no pressure, to hit those inside forward 50 targets. So I don't know how that was allowed to happen quarter after quarter, but uh, the big review for St Kilda this week, and that has to be fixed. Yeah, and I think with you know the pace that uh, Melbourne display, and you know they've got they've got elite ball winners because they do win the ball well. They are smart uses the football in those smaller shorts. It's just. When they get in that open space, a lot of the time, excuse my language, but they shit themselves and they just bomb it long. If they can get some forward targets to work into the right positions, because how many times, and then that's why we continually talk about their skill level, because they seem to have so much time and they just blaze away at it. If they can get an organised structure, an organised forward line, they can get the leading patterns right, even if they can get, you know, get the ability to be able to back themselves and go into a streaming, you know, goal from 40 out, they're going to be good. Well, the big problem I see with Melbourne is probably their coaching panel at the moment. Yep. And if you've got a coach that's actually going to do something about it and not play into their hands perfectly like St Kilda did on the weekend, I think you're going to be able to definitely beat Melbourne. So there you go. Yeah, most definitely. Disappointing for, for your Saints pairs, but bounce back against uh, Essendon next week. All right, speaking about bounce-back games, the Gold Coast Suns after a disappointing performance that we sort of touted that we no longer are we going to refer to them as a brave effort. It was a disappointing effort. Came out and really impressed with a six-goal second quarter that set them up for a 56-point win against uh, the helpless North Melbourne. Oh, helpless North Melbourne, all right. Only kicking five goals for the game. Uh, 98-39, uh, Gold Coast nearly a 10-goal win, 59 points there. So, uh, oh, sauce. King, the King brothers, I'm in love. Just three goals to the other king. Uh, so good. Rankine kicked three as well after not kicking one in the first week. Sexton got his two goals, which he usually does. And North, you're, you're in a lot of trouble there. Robbie Tarrant, not, not back for a while. Um, their, their forward line, they've, they've just got no no forwards down there. They've got to put Goldstein down there at some points, but then they don't have Ruckman. Do they have the midfield to win it out of there? Gold Coast, this was a good game for them to build their confidence and go, you know what? Uh, we can do this against other sides as well. We can win it in the middle. We can we can kick the ball around. We can be accurate. We did it for three quarters against West Coast at their home ground. That last quarter, we just shit ourselves or did whatever and, and lost by four goals. Uh, but but this really good for the Gold Coast with Anderson, Miller, uh, Collins down back, Lockie Weller, as he always does, uh, running around there as well. So uh, good to see the Gold Coast. I've tipped them for the finals this year, and uh, that, that's a start one and one. Yeah, and I think one of the big moves um, is Lukosius. Lukosius moving into off that half-back and playing a more consistent wing role. He looks at home there. He had 22 disposals. He didn't make many mistakes with them, um, and he sent a lot of you know a lot of depth into that forward line, really penetrating and, and allowing Rankine and King and Sexton to be able to 
do what they wanted. Now, well, they weren't playing a much. The North defence were a lot, very, very uh, much so depleted with the absence of uh, Robbie Tarrant there, who was one of their shining lights in week one. But, you know, Lukosius really has taken that next step. And I think what's good, Pez, is that it's those other players that are starting to step up, like Noah Anderson, Bowles. You know, it's not just the same old people. It's not Swallow and Alice and Miller every week. We are getting some of those other young guns, young guns that were really starting to to showcase their, their skill level. You know, like Markov again was with twenty disposals. Oh, good recruit. He's a great recruit for them. You know, Will Brody looks fantastic. He had eighteen touches, four clearances. They look good, and I think that you know this is the win that they needed. This is the win that we spoke about, pairs that they needed to come out. They needed to dominate, um, and th- this this is exactly what they're gonna they're gonna do if they're gonna set themselves up for a top eight spot. Beat the teams they're meant to beat, and not just beat them, beat them convincingly. Go yep. into the next week with some confidence, get the possessions into the kids, get the goals into the forwards, and make themselves look a lot better in terms of percentage. It, it's shocking. Uh, one thing for the Gold Coast that's gonna really screw them is their injuries. We know Matty Rao went down yeah. in uh, round one. Sam Day. Can't get uh, this kid. With a knee. And Butterick, the young and upcoming star as well, with a knee. So uh, we don't know how long those injuries are going to be. Hopefully they can uh, get back on the park eventually. But they, it's going to keep adding up if these injuries keep going. Yeah, Butterick was a, is a really big one for them because he was fantastic in week one against West Coast. Um, hopefully he's not out for too long, but... Yeah, day, day, poor day. He's got all the talent, and he's exactly what they need back there. But he just can't seem to he shows glimpses. Yeah, he just can't seem to, to to get a good run at it. And it's you know, hopefully, it's not the same story with Matty Rao, but who has been ruled out for the season, I think, as well, uh, which is a bit disappointing. Yeah, oh, it's, it brings a tear to my eye. Like uh, if St Kilda are shit house, what have I got look, to look forward to? <laughs> Maybe Matty Rao. Yeah, they're my second teammate. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to go there. But um, well, Gold Coast did what you have to do. You played against North, you, you're expected to do that, so you, you keep going, you go into round three. We're heading to the Sunday fixture, Hawthorne taking on Richmond, and it wasn't a, as big a blowout as some people thought it would be, Source. Richmond 78 uh, to Hawthorne's 49 for a 29-point win. Yeah, it wasn't scoreboard-wise, but the, the Tigers never looked out of control uh, of this game. They continually just did enough. And we spoke about, I spoke about this in the, in the pre-season show, Pez, that they, they've got to a stage where they just need to do enough. They know exactly how to switch it on and switch it off. Uh, and realistically, the, the Hawth- Hawthorne showed you know, some en- energetic glimpses, I guess. They were, you know, they were really up there. They were enthusiastic. They sort of always in within arm's length. But it was sort of reminding me of a big brother just sort of sitting there going... Yeah, mate, I'll, I'll let you get a little bit close enough. Uh, as soon as we need to put the foot down, we'll put the foot down, and they, they would kick two or three goals in, in, in sequence and then, you know, stretch it back out. That's exactly what it was. In, in the, I think it was uh, the third quarter. Uh, yeah, the third quarter, there was only one goal apiece mm-hmm. in that third quarter. It was just middle footy, end-to-end footy. Uh, Richmond not too worried about anything. Dustin Martin kicked a great goal out of the middle. He could have had another four goals source, but oh, he fantastic. just wants to give them off all the time. Gave off two to Rewalt. Uh, when he was 40, 45 out and a 45 degree angle and then uh, one uh, Joe the Goose over the top as well. So uh, Prestia with 29 was really good. Cochin came back into the side and does what he usually does. Edwards with his run and uh, Bolton with 20 disposals as well. I really like his run in the midfield that he gets um, for, for the Tigers. Yeah, you're going to hear this lots when we're talking about Richmond. The same names, Prestia, Martin, Cotchen when he's available, um, and then you probably pick one of three of the other role players, Lambert or Short. And They'll they, always they, up. they just do enough. Um, Hawthorne, Tom Mitchell was... was 
I don't know how to put this. He was good. He was pretty good. We had 37 yeah. Look, touches. He, but he got the footy, but did he go forward enough? <laughs> well, there was a stat that I, sh- I sent to you in the week. He, he had 37 touches. In the first half, he had 20 disposals or something and 13 metres gained. Well, there you go. His hand passing sideways and backwards, didn't he? Yeah, but he, look, he was he was a shining night for them. They had Hardwick, who, who did well as well. He had 31. Uh, the young recruit, and I'm not even going to try to say his name, Pez, uh, he has been fantastic for them. Uh, number 29, uh, Jiet Changuth. <laughs> not a, I'm terrible with names, as we know. But uh, they, 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 they looked all right, Hawthorne. I think that they're going to be one of those teams that really do decline. And I think, um, I think I've actually underestimated... Um, how poor Hawthorne are going to be this year because they showed enough to be able to stay in arm's length, but I don't see them being able to have that sort of killer instinct and where they're going to sort of blow games open, Pez. Yeah, uh, we'll speak about Hawthorne for a bit. I, I was really impressed with Day. He was playing in that defence and he was running the ball out. Um, unfortunately, he got injured and had to get replaced by the medical sub. But they had some, sometimes when they would go inside forward 15, they'd spot up the target. Bruce kicked two goals uh, from, from beautiful kicks inside forward 50. And Kaczynski kicking up the ground and uh, really, really impressing. He had one goal, one. Uh, he, what do you have? Six marks, nine disposals, and uh, quite impressive uh, young man in, in that game against uh, the, the great defences we know in Richmond. So they've got a few things. I think some of their players were really disappointing. Uh, Warple, who's lost, lost a little bit this year at the moment, only with 16 disposals. And uh, is he playing that, that little half-forward role and not, not really in the, in the midfield? So... Uh, they've they've got some names there. They've got some big names, but yeah, the decline. I agree, they are. They're going to come out and they're going to steal a, a win or two, oh, course, as, as we course. said in the preseason. But they're not going to feature in September or anything like that. So Hawthorne with the twenty nine point loss, you, they're just going to have to go for honourable losses at the moment when they're playing against uh, quality opposition like Richmond. Yeah, and I think we're going to speak about a lot of the you know any time Richmond's playing, it's going to be a routine win, and every time Hawthorne's playing, it's going to be an honourable loss <laughs> because there's nothing impressive either of these sides except for Richmond's ability to be able to turn it on whenever they please. Um, so and that's sort of a, a good way to sort of describe the game because nothing really happened during the game the the usual suspects did it for Richmond there were a couple of shining lights for Hawthorne but realistically this game w- was a non-event oh exactly right and you go to the uh, main event for the Sunday which oh, is what a game this was the Western Bulldogs versus the West Coast Eagles Western Bulldogs win in the end 100 to 93 by seven points uh, and you had stars all over the ground you had a midfield battle for the ages and the weaknesses that I spoke about in the Bulldogs forward line and defence uh, really shone through and, and West Coast just couldn't, even with Nat Nui and Nat, Nat Nui had a big dominant game and he was getting clearances and the ruck taps and everything. Bulldogs in that midfield, they just kept going. I am a little bit worried about them source, but yeah. I'll, I'll let you speak about the game. Uh, first, no, no, I think it's a good start because you know Jack McRae, Bont and Pally, they combined for seventy-one. They also had Caleb Daniel, Liberatore, they both had twenty-six. Dunkley had twenty-five. Bailey Smith had twenty-five. Trelaw had twenty-five. Lockie Hunter had twenty-one. Duray had twenty-one, twenty-two. Lipinski had twenty. Like all these players are getting the the ball. It's good to see them getting wins. I do worry about it. How they're not blowing games open for the amount of over possessions that they had. They had a hundred and what hundred and sorry no it was not hundred sorry it was a ninety six less sorry ninety six more disposals than the West Coast Eagles, which means they're controlling the game. They're averaging four hundred and thirty six between two games of of disposals. Mate, the handballs one hundred ninety two to ninety three. They're just overpossessing the ball. They need to move this ball forward, similar to what we're talking about, Tom Mitchell. Too many players are trying to get their possessions, and I, don't, I, I think it's a game plan thing. I don't think that they're very well coached. 
but they need to start blazing away. But I also think about what you said, Pez. It's because they don't have any forward options. And I think that's the option that they're doing at the moment. Yeah. They're just running the ball in and handballing, handballing. It worked out beautifully and ended in a um, Bailey Smith goal uh, along the ground at the My top man, of the goal Bailey square Smith. there. It was absolutely amazing. But uh, oh, I just – Bruce Bruce kicked three. He kicked three goals. He kicked so, a good so one. He's from, done. he's done for the year. From 52 <laughs> out. Like, he's done that. He's grabbed the jumper. He's, he's done all of those things. Uh, Norton kicked three. Bonson Pally, he was an absolute superstar. I think he'll get the three votes with his three goals and what he was doing around the ground. But all those players that you spoke about with the high possession, that's all they kept doing because you know what? They had to against West Coast because they couldn't kick it inside. You know what happened when they kicked it inside? Barras would mark the ball. Rotham would play... Absolutely amazing in defence. They've, they've found another one, West Coast, Rotham. Oh. Um, the McGovern, he didn't even have to do much in, in that defence uh, this time. Jack Darling was strong up forward. It's just West Coast, their midfield. Tim Kelly was that player that, you know, needs to come in and get the clearance and, and hand it off and kick it inside forward 50. They looked great when they got it inside forward 50, but Bulldogs possessed the ball and probably over-possessed the ball, but I think it was part of their game plan because of West Coast strength in defence. Yeah, most definitely their strength in defence. You spoke about Tim Kelly looking good. Not only that, Dom Sheed, 26 disposals, 11 clearances. But it's all off the of the work of Nat Nui. Nat Nui, a couple of years ago, I sort of touted that I don't know whether he is probably one of the most dominant ruckmen in the league. And they think that he does the flashy things for short periods of the games. But he, he worked really hard and he made that midfield look elite. And, um, you know, when, when they did get the ball and they got the clearance, they went into that damaging forward line. As we know, you know, seven goals between uh, Kennedy and Darling and Oscar Allen chipped in for another two. If they can get that sort of results for most weeks, they're going to be a lot further along than I had them, Pez, um, because I was a little bit little bit uh, shy, gun shy on, on the way that they were going to deliver that midfield, and I thought that it was an ageing midfield, and realistically, a lot of people have them this as their last sort of run at the, the, the Premiership, and this is their window closing. But if they can do that... And they've got Barassanam back, and they're, and they're you know they're getting a couple of those those injuries back into the side like Yao, and they can they can start to move that ball. They might actually be a shot in, in this this twenty one twenty or season. Yeah, we, can, we definitely can't roll off the uh, West Coast Eagles because they do have those players. And uh, I'll say again, Jack Darling, he impresses me when he goes up the ground or even inside fifty with his strong hands and the way he marks the footy. I do think that um, teams are going to to know how to play against West Coast and not bomb the ball to the loose man in McGovern and Barras yep. and those people down there. So they are going to have to, you know, win the ball uh, in the middle of the ground and, and go forward quickly. I think West Coast haven't really adjusted to the new rules and the, you know the the quickness of we're going from well, here. I don't know if they have the, the 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 ammo to be able to do that though, Pez. And that's the, that was the concern I had about them. Yeah. So I, I think Tim Kelly is one that. Really needs to be able to do yeah. that. Dom Sheed's another one that really needs to be able to do that. One perfect player to do that who is out, who you mentioned, is Yo. Yeah. He he would suit these new rules where the guy has to stand on the mark and he can just shoot off. So hopefully he can eventually come back into the West Coast Eagles lineup. I, I actually... Uh, Jamie Cripps, really disappointing. He had mm-hmm. a shot from about 10 metres out to put them three goals up in that fourth quarter. And he's kicked it into the man on the mark, gone in for a point, and then... West Coast just capitulated from there. The Bulldogs kept going and kept trying. Didn't didn't bow their heads and uh, were able to get the get the win there. And Bontempelli finished it off with a with a goal pretty much after the siren uh, at the end after being up by a point. So West Coast couldn't get stilled over the line. They were away. So I actually haven't looked at the fixture. We don't know the fixture if the Bulldogs are playing against the Eagles again over there because I think if this was over there, 
Eagles take the chocolates there on the on the bigger ground uh, with their defence because the Bulldogs would actually not have to handball that many times. They'd actually have to kick it to get forward. So uh, I, w- I was disappointed uh, backing in West Coast to get the win at, him at the line as well, which we'll speak about at the end of the show after our last game source. But impressive by the Bulldogs. They've got two wins. They'll get these sort of wins, but I am worried about them when they play really good opposition. Yeah, and I think also when they play away from Marvel. The Marvel Stadium really suits their style of play to be able to, to overpossess that football. But but as I spoke about before about them not being really well coached, everyone in the league knows that that you know West Coast have that that last man back and their forward line is already a depleted forward line in the Western Bulldogs. I think it's time to bring in that uh, young their young number 1 draft pick. I think he, he was impressive in the in the VFL again or the what the reserves or whatever it is. Kicked a couple of snags. I think it's time to bring him in because their forward line is really concerning. You can't have Bruce kicking three goals because he's not going to do that for the rest of the year. They need someone down there who's going to kick goals. You can't have your best midfielder in Bonton Pally. And when I say best midfielder, your most impactful forward-pressured, forward-delivering player kicking three goals. It's just not good enough. Put him into the midfield. Put some of these other guys on the wing. Teach them how to actually run the ball forward and do what Bonton Pally does. Then you've got Norton down there who can kick three, three or four. That's fine with him. He's starting to get his hands to the footy. But they need another another target down there that's got a good leading pattern. They need something down there because that's that's what's gonna that's gonna kill them. That's what's gonna kill them against those good teams. Source and and their defense as well. Their defense can't stand up. Not many defenses can stand up against the Eagles forward line if the ball's going inside forward fifty efficiently like that. But um, the Bulldogs forward forward fifty against the top teams not going to be able to defend against the Richmond or against the Port Adelaide. Uh, they're going to really struggle against those sides. So we move to the last and final game of round two. A big upset in our eyes, Source, who we thought um, GWS would win. Fremantle actually went in favourites, but Fremantle won 87 to 51. And GWS, after kicking a goal in the first 30 seconds, didn't bat an eyelid in this one. Tell you what, Pez, I've never watched the first quarter and wanted to change my tip fast enough. The, the performance that the GWS Giants put out in that first quarter and how dominant Fremantle were in possessing the football, keeping it out of the hands of the Giants, but then again, the decision-making from the Giants and the skill error was... was it was, it was ridiculous. They went. They, they Obviously, they kicked themselves out of that first quarter and the moment they started missing some of those easy goals... Their heads dropped and they just they just let themselves out of the game. They literally might have jumped on the bus and, and head back to to, to Cairns. They might they as well. Done. They, they didn't they chase. Done. They didn't do anything. Cairns, sorry, I meant Canberra. <laughs> yeah, they can they can go to they probably might they as well probably, go to Cairns. Might as well go to Cairns. Yeah, if they're going to play like this, the Giants after disappointingly losing to St Kilda in that first week in wet conditions when they you know could have could have sealed it in that fourth quarter. Then we have Fremantle who are depleted. They got they got their ruckman back in Darcy, but. They're depleted. You've got a star-studded midfield, or do you? You actually, you actually we might may don't not even know anymore. You may not. You've got names that are meant to be star-studded. What are you doing? I think I thought Toby Green was one man that could get them over the line. He, he couldn't do that over at Optus. Fremantle played that ground so well. They moved the ball through through the middle of the ground and hit up their targets inside forward fifty with ease, and just had ping after ping after ping. Could have blown them out to sixty points if they wanted to at the end. They took the. Uh, Took the foot off the accelerator there at the end and let GWS come back into it a little bit. But uh, Fremantle by 31 could have been 60. And GWS, you are in dire straits. I don't care what you put up on your walls at training this week. Leon Cameron, you're in trouble, mate. He's in big trouble. And I spoke about this in the preseason show. And even though I did pick them to sort of bounce back in, in eight, I spoke about how they could be one of those teams that go 0-3, go on 4 and... 
you know, they could potentially be looking at a coach sacking. Um, I looked at the stats actually looking for the, the tackling stat because I thought, you know what, they just didn't seem to apply any pressure. And it was really interesting that the tackle stat for this was 48 all. But then I looked at the stat tackles inside 50. Six to two. Like, that is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting that they had two tackles inside 50. It's just not good enough. They, they, You're right. I think that they dropped their heads and they just gave up. I've never seen a team. And as I said, after that quarter, first quarter, I'm like, there is no chance in this world that this team is coming back, even though the scoreline up until the third quarter was still manageable. They, they just didn't try. They've got no heart. Uh, I don't even know how you can inject anything into that side source. It, it definitely needs a chain, a chain, a change at the top and a chain reaction, I'll say, because just clear out. Clear out up the top there. Get some new people in. You've got a list that's, you know, manageable to to try and compete with AFL clubs. Oh, I, I was really disappointed in GWS because I thought they could beat a depleted Fremantle. They didn't do it. But on the other side of the coin, Fremantle, very impressive with all those young guys over there. You had uh, Schultz kick three. Brayshaw kicked two amazing goals. Uh, kicked one early and then kicked one later in the game. Uh, Swakowski kicked two, Tabana kicked two, and and marked the ball up the ground uh, really strongly. Uh, Fife, he, he hit the scoreboard, but uh, out with a concussion, and will he be out next week yeah, because well, he got that big hit? Well, he'll miss he'll miss the the the, the, the protocol, so he'll miss next week against um, I can't remember who they're playing, but it's a, a game that they possibly you know we definitely we could add him back for. But like we, you know, we I think we definitely undersold Fremantle in that pairs. It wasn't just how disgusting that uh, GWS were. Fremantle won the clearances twenty nine to twenty. They won the inside fifties fifty eight to forty two, and they dominated the contested ball one hundred and forty five to one hundred and thirteen. And you're right, they they could have won this by seventy eighty points. They probably could have even blown it to hundred points. They had twenty one behinds pairs, and a lot of those were. Very gettable, um, and it was disgusting that that, that yeah that, that realistically GWS deserved to be to, to lose by hundred points on that effort, um, probably even more. But uh, yeah, you're right, the the young stars from Fremantle, and I'm not going to tout them as stars because they haven't got any other stars playing for the next year with uh, little uh, McWalters out, and they've got Nat Fife missing next week. So some of those players uh, are do, doing some really great stuff. Uh, Sean Darcy is the ruckman. He was he was an absolute highlight in that first half. He, he looked 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 amazing in his return match. Oh, just just killed the Giants and gave Fremantle first look at the footy and uh, just uh, the Giants. I just I can't get over the names that they've got and the, this shithouse performance that they put up. If they played against Essendon on the weekend, they would have lost. Or North, they probably would have lost. I, I can't see them do, doing anything, and I'm uh, I don't know when to tip them again. GWS play against Melbourne next week at at um, GWS. So you just don't know what's going to happen. Max Gorn seems like he's going to have another day out uh, against them and uh, Fremantle will go down without five to play Carlton. So Carlton really need to win. Yeah, in Melbourne. Have to go on 0-2 as well. So that'll be tough for Fremantle, but can they impress again? Well, hopefully hopefully David Mundy can bring his performance. He had 20 disposals in the first five minutes, it felt like. He ended up with 35, had uh, five tackles and six clearances. He does not look like a 34-year-old man running around there. He looked like one of the young guns. He's another player. Hey, people that trying to retire him for three years. Yeah, well, he, just, he just seems to pop up, doesn't he? He just seems to have those games where I don't know where he'll get 30 disposals and he's absolutely dominant so you know if they can get a more consistent feed from him when you've got Fife in there Walters you know Adam Chera he looks fantastic he's an absolute fine for them they had uh, a couple of other players that sort of stepped up you know Caleb Sarong's continuing his form from last year he had 22 disposals he looked pretty good but, but it's the tackling pressure pairs like these players that we're talking about Brayshaw had six tackles Mundy had five tackles you know you had uh, Schultz had six yeah Schultz had six Sarong had four 
Acres had four. Like it, it's like that's what you need from these young guns. You need them to be getting tackles and applying that pressure. And especially when you're a defensive minded team, all you need to do is then convert them when it goes forward. Well, that's it. And if you play a team as poor as GWS at the moment, you, you're pretty happy with that. Um, Source, that is the end of round two. One thing we do need to talk about, I know you might want to have wanted to avoid it and I forgot about it throughout, um, is, is the lines that we picked throughout the week. So I'll just quickly go through that. Carlton, we both got that wrong, Source. We go to the Geelong-Brisbane. You picked Geelong, which was wrong. I picked Brisbane, which was correct. We both got the Sydney line. We both got the Port Adelaide line. We both lost on the Saints Source, we both got the Suns, we both got the Tigers, and then I got the West Coast Eagles, who were within uh, the 11.5. You missed out on the Bulldogs there, and we both missed out on GWS. So in round two, I got six out of nine in the lines. You got four out of nine, and that moves to a season total. I'm on 11, you're on eight. So you've got a bit of catching up to do I this week. I have a bit of catching up. It's disappointing, because if we'd done actually the teams that won, those those lines that I'm losing, the team that I've picked has won. So that's really disappointing. But that's uh, that's why we went the bit more difficult route. It was too easy beating you every week like I was. That's why we do the lines. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that, and I can't believe If there's <laughs> listeners that actually think that's going to happen, that's uh, very strange. All right, let's look at the uh, stat sheet for 2021, Piers. Yeah, it's, uh, what is it? Eight to 11. So I'm only three behind. Um, I think that you'll be able to catch me in the loser tip. Oh, but you're out of losing tip. Out of yeah, losing tip. Can't, can't win your own competition. We know <laughs> that. But uh, pretty good banter on the show. Big in-depth analysis of round two source and speaking about every single club. And that's what's really good about our show behind the boundary. We do speak about every single club every single week. I've been Pez. Look forward to the next show. Peace out. I'm still source. We'll catch up next time, guys. <laughs>